almost said eight. <laughs> this week I was, you know, preparing for to preach this morning and I was in chapter 8, and I had to take the page and just pry it, oh, get into chapter 9, because I kept wanting to stay there. But you know what? <clears throat> you know, I want to tell you that we, uh, we talked about Romans chapter 8, how that was the pinnacle of the We are not now going down the other side. We are staying on the pinnacle of the mountain through the remainder of the book. Uh, you know, after <clears throat> hearing what Paul says in chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, for I am sure that neither life nor death, nor things, or nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And those are verses that are very well deserving of an amen. And most people shout amen at the end of that, and then they get into chapter 9 and say, wait a minute, what? We might expect Paul to go on from the language of God's love uh, straight into the application of what that means for us. But that won't come until chapter 12. But that does not mean that chapters 9 through 11 are not important. They are very important. Um, they are a very complex portion of this letter. But chapter 9 is linked to what Paul has already written, to what Paul has already said uh, Paul concluded chapter 8 with this eternal security of the believer. But throughout this letter, one thing that Paul has done time and again is he anticipates the questions or the objections of his readers. You know, back in chapter 6, you know, when Paul was talking about how in chapter 5 where he says, where sin abounds, grace does abound more. And so the next thing Paul says is, so should we sin so that grace may abound. And he says, absolutely not. And here in chapter 9, Paul anticipates the questions that if we really believe <clears throat> that if those upon whom God had previously set his electing love, the Jewish people, have been cast off, then how can we believe what Paul said at the end of chapter 8, where he, he talks about the eternal security of the believer?
They're Jewish people. Am I confusing you yet? Okay. I promise as we go through this, I'll, I'll, I'll hopefully the Lord will help me make sense of all this for you. But Paul here, he says, look, previously it was revealed by God that, that the Jewish nation would be saved and that Gentiles would come into the, to the body and be a part of it. None can claim failure on God's part because God has already told in advance what it would be in the book of Isaiah, again, chapter 10. <clears throat> Let me read this. In Isaiah chapter 10, verses 22 and 23, he says, For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness, for the Lord of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. So Paul's point here is, look, you know the scriptures. He's speaking to the Jewish believers there in Rome, and he's saying, you know the scriptures. You know what they say, that God knew who would reject him. God knew who would not be saved, and he knew who would. And the interesting thing is, you know, as you go through the Old Testament, time after time after time after time, we see the nation of Israel rise up to a, 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 the top of the mountain. They're worshiping God. They're obedient to God. And just as quickly, they fall off into idolatry. And this goes on time after time, over and over and over and over throughout the Old Testament. But everything that God did, every sacrifice the Jewish people made there in the temple or in the tabernacle, everything about their life pointed to one place. Let me rephrase that. Pointed to one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet when he came... As a whole, to this very day, they have rejected him. But is it not the same with us? How many people have sat in church for years, every Sunday, hearing the gospel preached, walk out of here and think, well, I'm a pretty good person. I must be saved. Just like Israel, we think that God owes us salvation. Do you realize that that's what we believe, that God owes it to us? I'm going to tell you, the only thing God owes me is wrath. If you want fair, fair will send all of us to hell. <clears throat> so none can claim failure on God's part. The failure of the Jews to believe was their fault, not God's. The failure this morning of you to not believe is your fault, not God's. You hear the gospel preached. You're holding a Bible in your hands. You hear the, you, even through the song, that last song, we say, how great thou art. And, and you know, I didn't, I didn't do it like this, but you realize that the, the last song, how great they are, went with the call to worship psalm that I read this morning. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Telling all this. So God is not the one at fault. It's ours. And the Jews were trying to earn their salvation. Look with me in chapter 9 at verse 31. 
Paul touches on this. And again, we will get deeper into this as we go. Verse 31, he says, but that Israel who pursued a law. Well, let's go back to verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. But is but that Israel who pursued the law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as it were, based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So basically what Paul is saying, he said, look, the Gentiles obtained salvation because they believe God. But you Jews have not believed God. You've tried to earn your salvation. You've tried to get in. You stumbled over the very thing that would get you into heaven, which is the rock. The cornerstone, Christ. Again, folks, we see this in all our churches across America. People are stumbling over Christ. And we are trying to earn our way into, into heaven. We're trying to earn our salvation. And, and we think, God, if I just preach enough, if I just preach loud enough, if I just preach good enough, God will be pleased with me. Can I tell you something? God is pleased with me whether I preach good or not. Now, you may not be, but God is. <laughs> God is pleased with us because of Christ. This is what the Jewish nation has yet to learn, but it's what they will learn. They will learn that salvation is found nowhere but in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Paul has already told us way back in the beginning of, chapter, uh, of Romans, Abraham believed God. And God counted it as righteousness. And so Paul is going to talk more about this because these Jews were trying to earn their salvation. They did not understand. And, and, and this is something right here that I think even we who are believers sometimes fail to understand. We don't recognize too often. And, and I think that, I'm trying to think how to say this. I think sometimes we fail to understand just exactly how horrible and deep our sin is. Now, your sin may not seem all that much to me. And my sin may not seem all that much to you. But folks, I want to tell you in the eyes of God, you want me to tell you how bad God hates sin? Look at the cross. That tells you how much God hates sin. Look at his son hanging on a cross Bearing the sin of his people and bearing the full wrath of God for it. That's how much God hates sin. But the Jewish people and today you and I, we fail to understand the depths and the horror of our sin. And Paul says, if you turn over to chapter 11 and verse 1, he says, I asked then, has God rejected his people? By no means, Paul says. For I am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God's historical purpose towards the Jewish nation has not failed because some Jews, Paul says, hey, I'm one of them. I have been saved. And, and they had believed and they had been saved. And as long as even, do you know that if God saved even just one person, he's been faithful to his word? He could pick one person out of the entire human race that has ever lived or ever will. 
and save that one person and be just as righteous and holy and right as he would if he saved us all. Now, that's not fair, is it? Again, according to who? So Paul says, look, the, the Jewish nation, God has not... And, and here's the point that Paul is making, and I don't want us to miss this. I don't want to get off of here. I don't want you to think that the point that Paul's making in Romans 10, 9, 10, and 11 is, is how important the Jewish people are, because that's not the point he's making. The, important, the point that Paul is making is how good God is and how faithful God is. And that God has said, if I told you I'm going to save you, guess what? I'm going to save you. Have you ever, have you ever looked in the mirror? <clears throat> you know, I like what uh, Alistair Begg says. He says, if I ever need to find a sinner, all I need to do is look in the mirror. But have you ever looked in the mirror, looked at that person, and wondered to yourself, God, why? Why me? And when I'm talking about why did you save me? Why me? I know my failures. I know my sins. I know what's in my heart. I don't like it. But I can look and, and, and God says, you made this another fatal mistake. You think it's about you. Can I tell you something? Your salvation has nothing to do with you. Did you know that? Your salvation is all about the glory of God. That's all it is. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone. If you need to, you can read it. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scripture alone, for what purpose? To the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone. We will be trophies of grace in heaven. The angels don't understand salvation. You remember Jesus told his disciples, he says, don't you think I could ask and my father would send ten legions of angels? That's a lot of angels, by the way. But he didn't ask. He didn't ask. So Paul says, don't get the idea here that I'm talking just about this, the, the nation of Israel. He said, I'm trying to prove to you the faithfulness of God. That even if one per Jewish person has been saved, then God has been faithful in all that he does. Look in chapter 11 at verse 25 and 20, through 27. He says, lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the faithfulness of the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, don't miss what he said there at the end. He says, and this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So Paul, uh, he, he, he's basically saying here what I just said. Everyone for whom Christ died will be saved. Now, we're going to study, as I said, all of these points in more detail as we go along. It, it's probably going to take 
take a day or two to go through these next three chapters. You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I had a pastor friend of mine the other day. He said, do you plan out your sermons by the year? And I said, well, this year I did because I know where I'm going to be in December. I'm going to be in Romans. And he said, I thought you started in Romans last May. And I said, I did. But I plan, I fully plan on being in Romans this entire year. I may be wrong, but we'll see what the Lord leads there. But there, there's just so much here that we don't need to miss. And like I said, we're going to study all these points in detail as we go through these chapters. But even here, it is possible to see something of the vast scope of God's plan. We believe in the sovereignty of God. Amen? We believe that God ordains the end from the beginning. That deserves a louder amen. amen. Thank you. Listen, folks. <clears throat> there is nothing random about what's going on. There's nothing random that happens in your life or my life. There's no such thing as luck. I was, I was telling them in Sunday school this morning, my favorite psalm is Psalm 139. And one of the things that it says in that psalm, he says to God, you knew the number of my days before there were even were any. Do you know that God has a day? The Bible says that it is appointed unto men once to die and after this to judgment. I have an appointment. You have an appointment. That appointment may be today. It may be next year. It may be 20 years from now. But we all have an appointment. You know why? You know who set that appointment? God did. And, and so Paul is saying, look, everything you see going on, he's telling these believers in Rome. He's saying, look, I know what the situation looks like. I know what the circumstances look like, but that's not what we're trusting in. Listen, I don't care what happens up there in Washington, D.C., in that White House or that Capitol building. Now, when I say I don't care, what I mean is I don't live my life by that because I know who is the king of kings. And I know who's ordaining all things. Now, okay, don't get mad at me. Somebody's going to. I would love to ask God, point at our president and say, really? <laughs> but I want to tell you something. He has a plan. And you know what I have found? Okay, you ready for something? I'm fixing to convict you because it convicted me. <laughs> when, I, when I murmur against my government, you know who I'm murmuring against? I'm murmuring against God. When I complain about the situation our nation's in, I'm complaining against God. Because he is the one who has ordained it. And so Paul, here in Romans 9, 10, and 11, this is exactly what he's trying to show these believers in Rome. He's saying uh, that God is the one who is doing everything in the flow of history. Not only showing what God is doing, but showing that God is right in how he does it and when he does it. The question before us is, how do we fit in? What part do I play in this? By the way, that's an easy one. You know what my part is? You know what your part is? Well, obedience. Well, in our salvation, there's zero. But our part in God's plan is to be obedient. 
and to believe and have faith in God. What is God doing in your life? If you're saved, I'll tell you what he's doing. I can tell you. I've noticed you can look in here and see where it talks about the will of God. Then you can go down to your local Christian bookstore. And they will have hundreds of books on how to find the will of God for your life. Well, I'm going to save you a lot of money. I'm going to tell you how to find the will of God for your life. It's right here in this book. As a matter of fact, it's back in chapter 8. <clears throat> chapter 8. Well, now if I can find it. Oh, I'm in Romans. I'm in 7. Sorry. In Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse... 28, for we know that for those who love God and are, for we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined for what? To be, that's the will of God for your life. Did you know that? To be conformed to the image of his son. Everything that I do in my life, everything we do in this service every Sunday morning, everything that you and I do as believers is pointing toward that one thing. That's why whatever happens to me, whatever circumstances I find myself in, whatever sickness I may, that may come upon me, my only response should be, how does this accomplish God's will in my life? Then that will tell me how to respond to it. How can I bring glory to God in this? And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying this is how you fit in. This is what God is doing in your life. We are saved be, uh, to be formed and have the image of Christ formed in us. But we get so caught up in our little plans, most, most of which have absolutely nothing to do with being conformed to the image of Christ. We get so frustrated when everything doesn't go our way, when things don't go the way that we think it should. Can you imagine if everything had gone the way the disciples thought it should? Jesus would have never been crucified. Can you imagine if everything had gone the way Jonah thought it would? The entire city of Nineveh would have been destroyed. What if everything had gone the way Goliath thought it should? David would be dead. So the point I'm making is we, we look at our lives and we, we think, okay, I have by faith received Christ. I have received eternal life and my, my, he is my treasure. He is my life. And Paul says, to these believers in Rome, he's saying, look, I know what it looks like. It looks like only the Gentiles are being saved and that God has cast away his nation, the, the people of Israel. He says, and if he's done that, then yes, God has been unfaithful. But he hasn't done that. I don't care what it looks like. And you know that seeing is not always believing, right? For we walk by faith and not by sight. We get so caught up in our little plans, most of which have nothing to do with the purpose that God has for us. And I'll promise you, one day they will prove completely useless. They will be burned up like wood, hay, and stubble. 
What are we doing for Christ? That's what Paul is asking. Christian, you must know that you are here to be like Christ. Go back to the beginning of chapter 9. <clears throat> Look at verse 3. Paul says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Let me ask you something. Do you have a desire to see lost people saved? You know, Charles Spurgeon one time said that if you don't desire to see other people saved, it's a pretty good indication you're probably not saved yourself. But do you have a desire to see your loved ones saved, your, your, your mom, your dad, your kids, your grandkids, your whoever, your co-workers, your neighbors? Paul says, if I could, I would give up my salvation and spend eternity in hell if they could be saved. Now, it wasn't possible for that to happen. But do you have that kind of passion to see the lost saved? I don't think, you know, as a matter of fact, you know, we as Calvinists, sometimes we get accused of that, that we don't care about taking the gospel out. To me. I want to tell you something, folks. We need to. We need to be diligent in, in proclaiming the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world. And if we're not, we're not being obedient. Because Jesus said, go into all the world. But we thought he said, go into the church and proclaim the message. But that's not what he said. He said, go into the world. One of the problems, one of the things that we've done in our churches today, especially in America, I, I, I pick on the church in America because I church in America is probably in the sorriest state it's ever been in the history of the church. And I want to tell you something, folks. We have come to the idea that it's all about us. Is the music what I like? Is the preaching what I like? Are the people what I like? And meanwhile, people are marching on their way to hell. Now, listen, we are called to proclaim the message of the gospel. We are called to preach it from the housetops. We're not called to save anybody. All we're called to do is preach it. But are you? Are you preaching the gospel to your lost family members? Are you, are you proclaiming the message? And, you know, somebody told me the other day, they said, you know, I, want, I enjoy, they have a big family and they have a lot of family gatherings. And he says, I want, I have a lot of people that are in my family that are lost and I want to preach the gospel to them. I want to, I want to proclaim the gospel. Listen, you don't share the gospel, you proclaim it. And he said, but if I do, it's going to cause nothing but trouble. And I said, if it don't, you're not doing it right. <laughs> and he said, it's going to cause a lot of friction in my family. And I said, if it don't, you're not doing it right. <laughs> and he said, so what should I do? And I said, proclaim the gospel and leave the results to God. That's all we're called to do. So Paul here, he is saying, look, God has not forsaken his elect, everyone for whom Christ died, will be saved. And you and I need to just do what Paul is simply going to say in three chapters. Stop questioning God and start obeying God. It's not my decision who gets saved and who don't. All we're called to do is to be obedient. But are you? Are you being obedient? 
Are you being obedient in, in, in sharing the gospel? Do you love your loved ones to the point to where you're saying, you know what, I'm willing to make an enemy of you, but I'm going to proclaim the gospel to you. Because someday I will stand before God. And although my sin is gone and I will never be judged for any sin I've ever committed or ever will commit, I will be judged for my works. They will pass through the fire. Some will come out as gold, purified. Some will be like wood, hay, and stubble and just be a puff of smoke. And God will ask me for every, you know, I will give an account of every single sermon I have ever preached. Every one. Every song I have ever sang. What do you mean by that song? Why did you sing it? Did you sing it so people would look at you and applaud? Or did you sing it because you wanted to glorify me? Why did you preach that sermon? Did you preach that sermon because you knew that it would make people happy? Did you avoid that sermon because you knew it would make them mad? Did, were you faithful in preaching my word? All these things. All of us are going to stand before God and give an account for everything he's called us to do. And Paul says here in Romans 9, 10, and 11, he says God is faithful. He will do exactly what he said he would do. Regardless of what it looks like. And so you and I must stop questioning God and just start being obedient. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> Lord, we, we come to you this morning. We recognize, Father, that so often we fail to see what's going on in this world and your hand behind it. But, Father, we are people who are called by your name. And, Lord, we know that your promises are sure. Your promises are true. Father, help us to be obedient to you. Help us to be obedient out of love. Not obligation, not duty, but.